the Last Supper. Then came the day of unleavened bread on which the Passover lamb had to be sacrificed. Jesus sent Peter and John saying, go and make preparations for us to eat the Passover. Where do you want us to prepare for it? They asked. He replied, as you enter the city, a man carrying a jar of water will meet you. Follow him up to the house that he enters and say to the owner of the house, the teacher asks, where is the guest room where I may eat the Passover with my disciples? He will show you a large room upstairs, all furnished. Make preparations there. They left and found things just as Jesus had told them, so they prepared the Passover. When the hour came, Jesus and his apostles reclined at the table, and he said to them, I have eagerly desired to eat this Passover with you before I suffer. For I tell you, I will not eat it again until it finds fulfillment in the kingdom of God. After taking the cup, he gave thanks and said, Take this and divide it among you. For I tell you, I will not drink again from the fruit of the vine until the kingdom of God comes. And he took bread, gave thanks, and broke it, and gave it to them, saying, This is my body given for you. Do this in remembrance of me. In the same way, after the supper, he took the cup, saying, This cup is the new covenant in my blood, which is poured out for you. But the hand of him who is going to betray me is with mine on the table. The Son of Man will go as it has been decreed, but woe to the man who betrays him. They began to question among themselves which of them it might be who would do this. A dispute also arose among them as to which of them was considered to be the greatest. Jesus said to them, the kings of the Gentiles lord it over them. And those who exercise authority over them call themselves benefactors. But you are not to be like that. Instead, the greatest among you should be like the youngest, and the one who rules like the one who serves. For who is greater, the one who is at the table or the one who serves? Is it not the one who is at the table? But I am among you as one who serves. You are those who have stood by me in my trials, and I confer on you a kingdom, just as my father conferred one on me, so that you may eat and drink at my table in my kingdom and sit on my thrones, judging the twelve tribes of Israel. Simon, Simon, Satan has asked me to, has to sift all of you as wheat, but I have prayed for you, Simon, that your faith may not fail. And when you have turned back, strengthen your brothers. But he replied, Lord, I am ready to go with you to prison and to death. Jesus answered, I tell you, Peter, before the cock crows today, you will deny me three times that you know me. Then Jesus asked them, when I sent you without purse, bag, or sandals, did you lack anything? Nothing, they answered. He said to them, but now... If you have a purse, take it, and also a bag. And if you don't have a sword, sell your cloak and buy one. It is written, and he was numbered with the transgressors. And I tell you that this must be fulfilled in me. Yes, what is written about me is reaching its fulfillment. The disciples said, see, Lord, here are two swords. That's enough. 
he replied. Nick, thank you so, so much. What a passage. Um, and good morning, everyone. My name is Jamie Mulvaney, and I'm an associate minister here. It's great to see you, particularly a warm welcome to you if you're new here uh, today. And uh, we've been looking at uh, different meals that uh, Jesus shared. And uh, today we get to a meal of salvation and the Last Supper. And this is a meal that in particular we, um, we, we you know, in many ways we feel quite familiar with, uh, whether it's the mural by da Vinci, um, as you can see there, and of course all the disciples on one side of the table, uh, or, or whether it's um, maybe the, the Table Manners podcast. Uh, does anyone here listen to the Table Manners podcast? Just me. A few of us, a few, a few, a few. Um, so uh, Table Manners is a podcast hosted by Lenny and Jesse Ware, who live in Clapham. Um, and so if you live on their street, you live next to them, please do take one of these and invite them uh, to our services at Christmas. And uh, Louisa and I, we have a bit of a, a ritual of listening to the Table Manners podcast uh, on, on journeys. And um, they have celebrities that come on the show and they sit and eat a meal with them. And uh, they always uh, end the episode by asking uh, one question, and it's, what would you eat on your last supper, uh, if they could imagine themselves being on death row? And you know, as it were, Jesus here is on death row, and uh, we've spoken already in this series about how Jesus got killed uh, for the way that he ate. And Jesus is about to go to his death, and this particular meal, He's given it a lot of thought. And uh, he knows exactly what he wants his disciples to eat. And what Jesus, we see, wants to do in the Last Supper is to meet your hunger and my hunger. Each and every one of us, we, we have a hunger, we have a, we have a need, a craving within us uh, for those things that, that we desire and the things that we want. But there's also a hunger within each and every one of us for the things that we need as well. And so before we come to communion today, not listening to a podcast, not looking at a painting, but, but looking at this particular passage and this particular account that Luke has of the Last Supper, I want us to see how it is that you and I, we might live the Last Supper in our lives, not just here on a Sunday, uh, but throughout our week. And the first thing that we can learn from this passage is that you are what you eat. You are what you eat. Uh, people often say this, don't they? And, uh, you know, we identify ourselves by what we eat. Uh, we present ourselves to the world by the food choices that we, we, we take and even how quickly we eat. And, and then our, our food memories sort of define our lives. For me, there's such a marker, growing up in Australia, if I was feeling ill, having Vegemite on toast, not Marmite, but Vegemite, and uh, now that just sorts me right out whenever I need it. Uh, but, but also, when we think about uh, defining ourselves, we, we also have um, this, this appetite to impress others. And we see in verse 24, a, a dispute arose among the disciples as to which of them was considered to be the greatest. But Jesus says in verse 26, you are not to be like that. Instead, the greatest among you should be like the youngest. So one of the youngest people I know uh, is our son, Rupert. He's 14 months old. And so in our household, this means that he is the greatest. 
certainly takes up the greatest amount of time and attention. Uh, but he is the greatest. And uh, I, I remember, uh, too, uh, back when I lived in Australia, just out of school, uh, working for a politician, and uh, going to meet uh, the former Prime Minister of Australia. He'd been the Prime Minister for 11 years throughout my childhood. And I remember sitting at the top of this skyscraper in Sydney, overlooking the Sydney Harbour, and it's just me, my boss, and John Howard. And uh, we're sat there with um, tea in, in bone china cups, and I was sort of terrified of even taking a, a sip from the drink, just thinking, what, you know, if I sort of rattle the cup about. And, and, and we might think that going to, to eat and meet with Jesus is, is imposing like that. But with Jesus, there's no need to refine your table manners. We come like a, a child to the table. The parents here might know well just what it means to, to sort of try to hide away your children from any guests when it comes to, to tea time and the Weetabix that goes um, flying and sticks to just about anything forever. Now, Rupert, he is, he is, he is totally dependent on Louisa and me. He is totally dependent on us for, for food. And, and the food that we feed him is, is absolutely intrinsic. It's absolutely intrinsic to his survival, to his growth, and his development. And it's, it's the same for you and me, totally dependent on God. The body of Jesus Christ and the blood of Jesus Christ is totally intrinsic to your and my survival and our growth and our development. You are what you eat. Nutritionists uh, like to tell us that food is medicine. And where we are sick, the medicine that you and I need is the body and the blood of Jesus Christ. In verse 37, Jesus says, it is written, and he was numbered with the transgressors. Where is it written? See the little B there in your Bible. Where is it written? Well, it's written in Isaiah 53. If we have a look at that particular verse, Isaiah 53, verse 12, because he poured out his life unto death and was numbered with the transgressors, for he bore the sin of many and made intercession for the transgressors. Jesus says about this, this, this must be fulfilled in me. Yes, what is written about me is reaching its fulfillment. This meal of salvation is a meal of fulfillment, of fulfilling history and also fulfilling the need that you and I face. Jesus, he fulfilled the law. And he fulfilled the, the need for justice. And Jesus came for this. He, he came for this moment. That's, that's, that's why he says in verse 15, I have eagerly desired to eat this Passover with you before I suffer. And of course, Jesus, he was, he was sad. He was overwhelmed by what he was about to experience. But he, he eagerly desires to eat with his disciples. And it's the same with you and me. He eagerly desires to eat with you and me. That is what Jesus is hungering for. And that's why he died on the cross. There's no other way for that to be possible, for you and me and Jesus to be close. And if you'd been the only person on this planet... Jesus, he would have come and died for you. That's how much he loves you. That's how important closeness with you is to him. He desires to be with you. 
He even knows that we'll fail again. We see that over and again in this passage. And yet he's died for us knowing this. People talk negatively about consumer Christianity. But that's what Christianity is. We consume. We feed from Jesus. And at the Lord's table, we are saying as we, as we feed from Jesus, we are saying, Jesus, your death is the main thing about my life, that you are what you eat. But make no mistake, the, the, the Last Supper was deeply personal, but not private. Deeply personal, but not private. And Jesus says, this is my body and blood, given and poured out for you. For you. Not just generally being poured out, but poured out specifically for you and me. And so in that sense, we are to consume Jesus. But he also speaks here about connection and contribution. He speaks about service. Peter and John, they're, they're asked by Jesus to make preparations for this meal, to partner with Jesus. And, and we see the early church, they go on um, devoting themselves not only to the breaking of the bread, but devoting themselves to one another. I uh, remember coming along to this building uh, one day, uh, ready to, to lead communion. And I realized as I was walking to church that I had unforgiveness in my heart. I had unforgiveness in my heart towards a particular person that had hurt me really badly. And I knew uh, that I couldn't come to receive communion, let alone preside at communion without seeking God's forgiveness for what was going on in me. Because communion is deeply personal, it's not private. That's, that's why we shared the peace before, that peace that God extends to us, that we can extend to others. And in verse 19, Jesus, he takes the bread, he takes it, he thanks God for it, he breaks it, and he gives it. Do this, Jesus says. So do this, do this, yes, do this when taking communion, but also do this in your life. Because you and I, we are seeking to be followers of Jesus, to become like him. And, and many of you here today will know what it is to suffer, to have been chosen by God, to have been blessed by him, even broken by him, and then allowed his blessing to flow through you. For me, I, I know that it's the times in my life where I've been brokenhearted, where I've had broken pride, where my own self-reliance and self-independence has been broken, that it's in those moments that I've seen God's power most powerfully at work in me and flowing through me to other people. And because none of us here today are immune to suffering, we all have the opportunity, we all have the chance of knowing God's anointing, knowing his blessing in us and through us when we too, like Jesus, suffer. So you don't take communion. We are in communion. We are in communion with one another and we are in communion with Jesus Christ. What else does Jesus do at the Last Supper? Well, he takes his disciples back to the future, back to the future, not in a DeLorean. Uh, but we see in verse 15, he said to them, I have eagerly desired to eat this Passover with you before I suffer. 
For I tell you, I will not eat it again until it finds fulfillment in the kingdom of God. And Jesus here, he looks back to the Passover, back to that moment in time when God saved his people in Egypt. And he looks forward, he looks forward to the coming of his kingdom, to the very end of the age. And so this, this meal, the Last Supper, it is, is a meal that happened in history and is rooted in history, in the, the history of the Passover, and now the history of Jesus having died on the cross, its, its fulfillment. And Jesus, he wants to take you and me back to the future, back to the cross. That's what Jesus is instituting here in this meal, looking back to the cross, but also looking forward, looking forward to the end of the age when we will be with Jesus in heaven. That passage in Isaiah 53 that, that Jesus was quoting, a few verses earlier in verse 6, Isaiah says, We all like sheep have gone astray. Each of us has turned to our own way. And the Lord has laid on him the iniquity of us all. He was oppressed and afflicted, yet he did not open his mouth. He was led like a lamb to the slaughter. This prophecy of Isaiah, written some 700 years before Jesus died and written as if it was in the past tense, again being taken back to the future, that this was always God's plan, Jesus dying for us on the cross. And just as God's people in Egypt put blood on the doorposts to save their firstborn, Jesus, he is the sacrificial lamb, and he was shed for you and for me. And then in verse 20, in the same way after supper, he took the cup, saying, this cup is the new covenant in my blood, which is poured out for you. And notice this is not a, a social contract. This is a, not a handshake. It's not an IOU. It's something far, far more powerful than that, something far more unbreakable than that. It's a covenant. It's a covenant uh, with you and me because Jesus died for us, because there is blood involved. So this, this is the new covenant that you and I look back to. And if you want to know your future, if you want to know where you're headed, look back. Look back to this moment in time when Jesus died for you and go back to the future. And this means, this means that you and I, we can live our lives not with escapism, but elevation. Not escapism, but elevation. You know, we, we often look forward. We look forward to special meals. We look forward to birthdays, to Christmas, uh, to holidays. Those moments in time when we can put reality to one side for a bit and kick back and relax and escape the world that we live in. But that's not what we're doing when we come to communion on a Sunday. God's people, yes, they escaped Egypt, but this is not a meal of escapism. A life often feels like we're, we're traveling along twin tracks of battle and blessing, knowing, knowing difficult times, knowing good times. 
And, and that's a bit like what it's like for, for, for Jesus. He, he's eagerly desired this meal. He's been planning this meal for eternity. He wants to share this meal with his disciples. And yet he's facing betrayal. At this very meal, he's, he's facing betrayal from Judas. And let's not forget Peter as well. We see infighting amongst his disciples. And this, this is where Jesus chooses to reveal his glory. Not in, not in escaping problems, not in burying one's head in the sand. This is not about us escaping reality. It's actually about quite the opposite. It's about God coming in and entering our reality. And when he does so, he does an incredibly remarkable thing. We see that the prophet Isaiah uh, says in, uh, sorry, the prophet Jeremiah says in, in Jeremiah 31, this is the covenant that I will make with the people of Israel after that time. I will put my law in their minds and, I, and write it on their hearts. I will be their God and they will be my people. And this is the transforming power of the Holy Spirit. In a few moments' time, we will pray for the Holy Spirit to come upon the bread and the wine, but far more significant than that is that the Holy Spirit comes upon you and me. The Holy Spirit writes on our hearts that this connection with God is so important, it's so precious, it's so valuable that it's, it's, it's a covenant. It's a covenant that Jesus ratified with his own blood. This is about your new relationship, your new identity, and your new position. Jesus says in verse 29, and I confer on you a kingdom, just as my father conferred one on me, so that you may eat and drink at my table in, in my kingdom, and sit on thrones, judging the 12 tribes of Israel. Far more impressive, far more significant than being invited to hop in an elevator and go up the shard, to have a meal at the top of the shard. Jesus, he is inviting us to dine like kings. The communion isn't about God bringing God down to you. It's about you being lifted up. Because Jesus, he has already come down to die on a cross for you and me. And he's risen again. And now he raises you and me up. Thomas Cramer wrote that like eagles, we should fly up into heaven in our hearts where that lamb is resident at the right hand of his father. And that's what he means. And it's why we say the words in communion, lift up your hearts and we lift them up unto the Lord. Last week, I became a British citizen, and uh, I know the accent came a little bit earlier than the passport. Uh, <laughs> but there we are, and uh, far, far more important than me being a British citizen is the fact that I'm a citizen of heaven. And just like you, I have a mandate to bring heaven here in Clapham, to bring heaven here on earth, and not to live my life as an escapist, but with elevation, to operate with God's authority and victory and power here on planet Earth. 
And part of this means is that um, Jesus, he doesn't want his disciples to be naive about there being a spiritual battle. We see that here in this passage. In, in verse 31, he says, Satan has asked to sift you all. And we see that Satan actually enters Judas. And Jesus, he, he's speaking about needing swords, which the disciples seem to take literally. But, but Jesus is wanting to point out that there's a spiritual battle. And that this is the Lord's battle. This is Jesus' battle. And, and we're seated with him. And we know here too that Jesus, he prays for us. And he says in, in verse 35, he asks, when I sent you without purse, bag or sandals, did you lack anything? Nothing, they answered. At the last supper, we're reminded that we depend on Jesus. Not to, to escape our problems, but to face them. Because we've been elevated. We've been elevated uh, with Jesus. So Jesus, he knows, and he's wanting to point out that we're, we're spiritual beings. But he also wants us to know that we are physical beings, just like he is. So he wants us to know that he is the truth that you can taste. That Jesus is the truth that you can taste. How can you taste truth? Well, the early church, for a few hundred years, they didn't have the New Testament. And many of them couldn't even read. And, and, and Jesus, he didn't say, think this in remembrance of me. He said, do this in remembrance of me. He, he, he anchors us in something very physical, something very tangible, to remind us of his body and his blood. We see here the word of God, the word pointing us to the wafer and the wine, and the wafer and the wine pointing us to the word of God. Each time we take this meal, we proclaim Jesus' death and his resurrection until he comes in glory. So this is truth that you can taste and taste and see that the Lord is good because finally, Jesus is the host of this meal. Where is Jesus at this meal? Before the meal even happens, we see that he's making preparations. And that's what you do when you're a host. And then we see uh, uh, the, the, the word prepare here as well. Um, that as he's telling uh, Peter and John to, to join him with preparing, that, that preparing means to, to oversee the sacrifice, oversee the selecting of the lamb. And Jesus, he is overseeing this for you and me. That he is the host of the meal and that he is the sacrifice. And then we see at the meal in verse 26, he says, the one who rules is like the one who serves. In the next verse, I am among you as one who serves. Communion is, is far more important than a ritual. And it's far more significant than just a, a mental recollection. Because Jesus is the host of this meal. And he is inviting you and me to eat with him. That's why we say the Lord is here. His spirit is with us. And what if, what if communion? What if communion was, was even more significant than what's going on in our bodies? What if communion was even more significant than what's going on in our minds and, and our personal experience? Whether we're feeling anything at all. Because this is the Lord's meal. This is the Lord's supper. And he is the host of this meal. And it's a foretaste of the heavenly banquet to which everyone is invited. And everything is ready.
the Catholic writer Henri Nouwen uh, points out that the four times in the Gospels, Jesus, he, he takes bread, he blesses it, he breaks it, and he gives it. And he does so here. He does so here at the, at the Last Supper. But a couple of chapters forward in Luke, in Luke chapter 24, after the resurrection, when he's with two disciples, they arrive at Emmaus. They arrive at this village called Emmaus, and, and they've not recognized him. What we see is that he takes bread, he blesses it, he breaks it, and he gives it to them, and their eyes are opened. Their eyes are open to see Jesus for who he is, and their eyes are open to see Jesus and what he has done for them on the cross. We see broken bread before the cross and broken bread after the cross. And what Jesus is saying here is, is that I am the fulfillment. I am your fulfillment. I am the fulfillment of your identity. The fulfillment of all you ever hoped and dreamed and dared to be. I am enough for you. So you are what you eat. And I am the fulfillment of your destiny. I am the one who takes you back to the future. I fulfill your need for connection. So Jesus for you and me is deeply personal, but not private. And Jesus says, I fulfill your purpose. Not through escapism, but through elevation. And in a world of post-truth and half-truth, I fulfill your need to experience truth, the truth that you can taste. And in a world of, of missing out, of loneliness and rejection, I fulfill those needs and those desires with invitation. And I am the host of this meal to which all of you are invited. Amen. Amen. Would you like to stand?